Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bull, and myself come to you live from RefCon 2019, where we had a Q&A session that was recorded live. Sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the Being Lutheran podcast. This is a live recording, episode part two, two, part yeah. part two. Um, Pastor Brett Bow, <laughs> Pastor with... Jason Goodham, <laughs> and Pastor Brian Ricky. Hot uh, shots reference yeah. in the first twenty seconds of an episode. We, Way we, to be. We just have to get our like old school get the silly references out. Yeah, eighties, eighties, eighties and nineties music. Totally yeah. date how old we right. really are. Yep, yeah. that's fine. Me being the oldest. Of yep, course. we and we won't ever forget to point that out either, Gramps. Well, I know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> In fact, I just came back from South Dakota celebrating Esther Rose's first birthday. Ooh, that was awesome. Fun. Yeah, that was cool. It's like a different part of your heart, you know, because you're, I love my kids and I mm-hmm. love each one of them the same, but uniquely. Like the Grinch's heart grew a little? A little oh, bit. Okay. I don't think I'd be the Grinch, but maybe. You're not yeah. the Grinch, no. M- no. My dad has always used the cliche with us that if he knew grandkids were going to be that much fun, he would have skipped and had them first. Nah. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> Oh, good. Well, we are on to our second Q&A episode. But, but where um, are we? Yes. What, where are we? Do you hear the, the, hear the different echo? sound? Sound, echo? Sound, I, sound a little bit different? I ask that question mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> where am I? <laughs> we are at RefCon, right? RefCon right. 2019. Refcon. Right. Yeah, and no one so far, there's well, probably 30 people here right now, no one took us up on the dress like your favorite reformer. Oh. Thing that we throw it on the podcast. I don't see unless any... they're dressing like a modern day Philip <laughs> Melanchthon, or yeah. I don't see any tonsured haircuts no, or anything no. like that. So that's a fail. Yeah, bummer. I blame you. Yeah, I wouldn't have done it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, you get to answer, ask the questions today. You're the one who I took do. notes. This is this episode. We have our audience participation questions. Mm-hmm. These are questions from our live studio audience, I guess. Can we say studio okay, so audience? We, just yeah. so that we live can prove to other audience. people, we're all going to say vocation at yes. three. Okay, yeah. guys, already? <laughs> one, two, three. Vocation. You almost said it like you mean it. Let's do it one more time. <laughs> one, two, three. Vocation. There we so, go. Okay, there we That's, are. Audience participation. All right. It's a good thing. So uh, communion, kind of picking up a little bit off of what we talked about with the Joe Biden incident last uh, episode. The Joe Biden incident. And so we're going to talk about the prep first, you know, as far as like giving the warning. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of our audience members asked about that warning. And I would imagine Mm -hmm. what we should address is why it's important and why Mm -hmm. do we need to adhere to what scripture says as what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11. Mm-hmm. I think we should maybe do these first two questions hand in hand. Oh, yeah. Because yep. the second question was yeah. talking about the unworthy clause yep. in, oh, confu- right. yep. in, in confusion, communion. Uh, <laughs> Confusing communion. Freudian yeah. slip uh, at the end of 1 Corinthians 11 yeah. there. And so uh, one of the reasons why Lutherans take communion so seriously mm-hmm. is that warning Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 11 that you can receive communion in an unworthy worthy manner. Mm-hmm. And so kind of the doing the second question first is what does it look like to receive communion in an unworthy manner and how do we prep so that people aren't doing that, right? And so mm-hmm. 
what's the unworthy clause mean? Yeah, right. And you have that that phrase in in First Corinthians eleven, um, thinking about uh, it's called the call to examine oneself, mm-hmm. and so doing come, and then also to discern the body. Uh, those two two parts there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think sometimes people think, well, I need to kind of clean myself up to come to communion. Like that's what they that's what the worthy clause means to some. Um, yeah, First Corinthians eleven twenty nine. For if anyone for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Um, so there's there's obviously something more than just a symbolic happening going on here. Yep. Um, with the need to um, to take it that seriously. Yeah, because yeah. Christ's words, and, and it comes back to again. The different views. Is it, is it a symbol? Is mm-hmm. the presence of Christ real? And if Christ's presence is real, how is it present? And of course, you've got the spiritual belief of some Calvinists, like the true spiritual presence of Christ. And what's interesting about this is that our theology on the two natures of Christ really have a lot to say about how we think about communion. Um, and so they would be, they believe that the humanity of Christ can only be at one place at one time. That's why someone from a Calvin pers- persuasion would say that it's the true spiritual presence of Christ uh, worked through the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we as Lutherans uh, would say, well, it's more than that because the word is. Uh, this is my body. This is, is my means is. Exactly. Yeah, right. And so <laughs> back to some uh, again, our... <laughs> uh, we, we, I have I really thank Luther on this, and he embraced some of the mystery, mm-hmm. uh, maybe some of the mystery that the Eastern Orthodox kind of embraces, the mysterion, instead of calling it a sacrament, in that there's a mystery to this, but yet we take Christ at his word. Mm-hmm. And so Christ's presence is real, therefore we need to take it seriously, mm-hmm. because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, that discerning the body. Yeah, yeah. one of the things I've never really understood, there's kind of, again, layers mm-hmm. to understanding this, and... Uh, from the Protestant perspective, uh, you have your the Baptist kind of tradition that views communion as purely symbolic. Uh, and then you have the Calvinist or the Reformed tradition, which is that it's a spiritual eating and drinking. And Wesleyan would probably and, be the same. Yeah, yeah. Wesleyan. And then Lutherans, that Christ's body and blood are actually present as you receive communion. I have never understood how the Baptists handle the unworthy clause, because if it is mm. purely symbolic, it's literally impossible to receive an unworthy manner. You either, you know, I mean, it's just a symbol. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there, there is some confusion in the reform traditions too of what that means, mm-hmm. because it's your faith that animates the effectiveness of the sacrament. And so if you believe you're receiving Christ's body and blood, that's the spiritual eating. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't, you don't. And both of those kind of leave the unworthy clause out to dry just a little bit. Um, maybe that's not entirely fair, but that's how I understand it. So mm-hmm. where the Protestants, for the most part, at least the Protestants of the Reformation, for the most part of lockstep, receiving it in an unworthy manner is to be unrepentant of sin. Yeah, right. Uh, yep. I think I, no matter what they confess is going on during communion and the, the nature of the elements during communion, I, I, I don't know too many people that would uh, welcome an unrepentant sinner to mm-hmm. the altar to receive the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. And after that, there are some theological things that need to be sorted out, like what you believe about the body and blood, 
of Christ in communion, what, how that relates to the elements. And I know uh, in certain Protestant circles, there's some confusion of the use of the word body throughout chapters 10 and 11 of 1 Corinthians because Paul switches back and forth very rapidly from body referring to the body of Christ in the church mm-hmm. and then body referring to the body of Christ like the actual body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so those are where the differences are. And, and most Lutherans, again, historically mm-hmm. would confess that on top of receiving it in an unrepentant manner, not recognizing that the body and blood of Christ are present during communion yep. is also to receive it unworthily, mm-hmm. which is why we, uh, to go along with the first question from the audience, why we make that exhortation and why we make the claims of this is what we believe is happening during communion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yep. And then that leads us then right into uh, one of the other questions in verse 30, where Paul states, uh, that is why many of you are weak and ill Mm -hmm. and some have died. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the first thing I thought of immediately was Acts chapter 5, as Ananias and Sapphira, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, lied to God Mm -hmm. directly. And again, it's that fear Mm -hmm. of the Lord, that that where the presence of God is, sin cannot exist. I also think about Leviticus, where Aaron's sons kind of bypassed the step and kind of cheated on the the Friday incense. Yeah, given a chance to repent and don't. Exactly. And so taking the presence of God as really an important thing, I think is really the key here. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that the sickness and the weak and the illness came as a aspect of judgment because of God's presence and that Christ's presence is real in communion. And that's Paul's point is that we need to take this seriously because Christ is present. Mm -hmm. This is my body. This is my blood. I received this from the Lord. And I really appreciate how he states that because he didn't receive it from a man. He received it from God, from Jesus Christ, who's fully God and fully man himself, that this is the true teaching of the church. Yeah, I, I think principally what we can take out of that specific verse about the Paul connecting their physical suffering with receiving communion in an unworthy manner. Principally, it's just we're not to be flippant with the gifts of God or the yeah. presence yeah. of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, it's a good I word. Mean, uh, it's whether it's the Coke and potato chips nonsense that the emergent church was doing for so long, or, you know, you can really blaspheme in a lot of ways by not being serious with what's or making going it on. a meal in a drunken, you know, whatever yeah, yeah. gathering like they were in the church. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what was going on in Corinth. I think there's some permission in that for us too, to be able to look at what's happening in Corinth and draw the line between descriptive and prescriptive. Mm-hmm. And so I think, Perhaps we can look at what's going on in Corinth and say those specific illnesses, it's not a warning as if that's going to happen all the time to everyone. I I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily know that we're free to tell someone you got cancer because you received communion in an unworthy manner. Uh, But this was a situation where under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul said, this is why it's happening. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, kind of like those other things. Yeah, Nadab and Abihu yeah. was a unique situation. Exactly. Well, think about and, it. When, when both covenants came out, the presence of God was there in a real way mm-hmm. where people did die mm-hmm. in the presence yeah, of, the, of God. Was it Uzzah is the, the Levite oh, yeah, who touched yeah. tried to stabilize yep. the Ark of the Covenant? So the presence of God is real, and we have those instances in Scripture that remind us, again, that the fear mm-hmm. of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, mm-hmm. man, I think the American church has lost a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I always find it interesting as I talk to missionaries and how, especially if you hear anyone that's from been to China, they're praying that we'll get persecuted so that we actually become the church. (laughs) 
I mean, it, it, that's not a lot of American churches making that prayer. No, no, but you know, um, I think that yeah. that is really what mm-hmm. it comes down to is that the fear of the Lord. And so, this is in Scripture, and why they became weak and ill is because of the presence of God, mm-hmm. the presence of Christ in communion. And we would do well to pay attention to that. Yeah. Yep. And then to to go back to the first part of the question was the different warnings or explanations that we give before communion of what's going on where sometimes we will confess the faith that say this is what we believe about communion or like we've talked about in my church I I point people to a statement of faith in our bulletin whereas in a different church the pastor will directly explain if you are not repentant of your sins don't come up you know the various warnings uh, I think from my perspective the clearer we can be the more clarity Mm -hmm. we can provide the congregation on that, the better. Mm-hmm. That I, yeah. I, I don't know that I would be in favor of just blowing through communion without any explanation no, of what's going on. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, well, we, we, in our, in our church, we have communion every, every morning at the early traditional service. And I always make sure I leave enough time for that, uh, for preparation. And mm-hmm. because it's an, act, it's an act of worship in the freedom of Christ. Mm-hmm. As we get to, because of the victory of Christ Jesus, yeah. yep. confess yes. our sin all to a God who knows everything mm-hmm. and to a Savior who has paid it all. That is, that's worship. Mm-hmm. And, and that should be something that we should really treasure, you know, and allow that sin that's brought to our mind in that time of confession and, and, um, and repentance to just expand our view of God's mercy and his grace to understand the depth of our sin. And that's the thing that I've really enjoyed as I get older now. Um, the older I get, the more clearly I see the extent of sin in my life, that it, it, it pervades every aspect of who I am, mm-hmm. my mind, will, and my emotions. And I'm not doing this in a self-deprecation way because what it does is it points to the, extravagant, the extravagance of God's mercy so instead of like, like looking at my sin and like, oh, I'm such a, a, a horrible person, that's actually pride. When we become self-deprecating in the freedom of Christ or we become self-deprecating in the victory of Christ, that's pride. And we're making it all about ourselves, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's all about Christ and what he's done. And in that moment that we get to mm-hmm. confess our sin to a God who has paid it all through Christ Jesus, that becomes a precious time. Yeah, and then we great. see actually the hugeness, and I know it's not really a word, but the extravagant <laughs> hugeness of God's love for us yeah. in that while we were yet sinners, Christ mm-hmm. died for us. Amen, yeah. yeah and, and you have all those aspects. If, if you don't feel worthy enough to come to communion, that is the exact reason you should come mm-hmm. to communion. Uh, yeah. Amen. You know, that thing. Yeah. And, and this is an, another opportunity for us because we're AFLC pastors to do some denominational distinctives. One of my favorite part of the communion service is that we have built into the service the exhortation to communion, mm-hmm. the explanation yeah. of yeah. why you should be coming up and what yeah. you should be believing and having only worshiped in a Missouri Synod congregation a handful of times. Mm -hmm. I don't know what their tradition is, but it it is a part of the service that many AFLC churches Mm -hmm. use. Yep. Yep. That's right. All right. We better move on or we're not going to get to these. And we might want to do two episodes on this one. (laughs) Um, Oh boy. (laughs) Around all these questions, I should say. Um, The next question uh, is by, brought forward by, I believe yours. Yeah. My son. Uh, Why did Luther rearrange the Apostles' Creed? Because. Is that the dad response right, to, yeah. the, to, to Because I said so, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's 
really for teaching purposes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, the real reason that Luther rearranged the Apostles' Creed is that he was tasked by the group of churches, the college in Wittenberg was overseeing yeah, to, to visit the yep. parishes. Yep. And he visited the parishes and not only the people in the parishes, but the pastors themselves did not even have a minimal basic understanding of Christianity. And so Luther, the Catholic church for, for hundreds of years before Luther had catechisms, mm-hmm. they were mostly based off the 10 commandments and oh, I, th- I think we're, we're saying, why did he rearrange the small catechism? No, no, no the, the, the Apostles' Creed. Creed. Okay. And so, okay, sorry, and I didn't know if that's a true. The way it was structured for academic purposes, really, is that the Apostles' Creed was broken out into 12 parts, and each one of the apostles was given credit for one of those 12 parts. And Luther said, that's, it's not helpful, it's not beneficial, it's not teaching people. And so he arranged the creed around the persons of the Trinity mm-hmm. and it's easier to understand yep. and it helps us to grasp the gospel. You have mm-hmm. God as creator, God as yep. redeemer, God as sanctifier. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. You're not a Trinity guy at all, right? Not at all. So, <laughs> yeah, the real, the real reason, Gideon, that Luther rearranged the creed was just for educational purposes to mm-hmm. make it easier to understand. And, you know, I, I'm not like a, yeah, I don't, don't worship Luther, but this was a, a very ingenious move mm-hmm. uh, to use something that, that the church, the people who attended church, confessed on a weekly basis to teach systematic theology. What mm-hmm. an ingenious mm-hmm. thing to do, uh, to use the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. So, mm-hmm. Read anyway. the catechism. So Read the catechism. It's for teaching purposes yeah, is really right. the short answer. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, next one is baptism. Of course, we're going right, to get yeah. one on this. Um, uh, Megan, I believe, yeah. uh, was asking how some would believe there's a difference mm-hmm. between water baptism and spiritual baptism. Or spirit baptism. Yeah, and yeah. so let's, let's talk about that. And of course, Lutherans, we would say that water baptism is spiritual baptism. Correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, one and, and the same. Um, and then some would see that, oh, no, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so that mm-hmm. you can have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you address this one because yeah, I can right. see you yeah, itching. You're, you're, you're trying to go. So, so gracious. Uh, <laughs> um, so the distinction is uh, in the book of Acts, specifically, there are two or three instances where the Holy Spirit comes on a group of believers and they speak in tongues. Mm -hmm. So Acts chapter 2 with the apostles uh, is the first place it pops up. And then for certain, um, and it's been a while since I've reviewed the Mm -hmm. content of this, Mm -hmm. for certain it came on the Gentiles who Mm -hmm. had only received John's baptism. Somewhere in there. Nine, yeah. Somewhere between Acts 1 and Acts 28. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, uh, Way to narrow it down <laughs> yeah. for us. Yeah. I could have put between Genesis 1 and Revelation 22. Uh, but the distinction is if we have certain denominations like the Assemblies of God that confess spirit baptism as evidenced by the speaking of tongues mm-hmm. to be something else and mm-hmm. something necessary distinct from water baptism. Mm-hmm. So I know mm-hmm. you're, you're about to get there. And, and part of the yeah, question right. is, how do we then address someone that believes that that's the case? That there is two baptisms. How do we then address that? With prayer 
<laughs> and patience and wisdom. I thought you were going to give a smart aleck response. Well, that was yeah. better than the, yeah, the right, response yeah. I gave when she asked the question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tell them they're wrong and walk away. Yeah. Was your yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it, it has to be done situationally. I mean, yeah, it, it, yeah. it has to be done right. over time. It, it's yep. rarely ever you're going to enter into a conversation like that where you're going to change their mind or they're going to change your mind. Mm-hmm. It's, what, it's, oh, go ahead. When, mm-hmm. when someone has asked me this, one thing I point them to is that you've got to be careful in applying acts to the church now because that and was that such a prescriptive, time. descriptive. Prescriptive. Yep. You know, descriptive. It, yeah, you know, the apostles, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, I'm an, I'm an apostle for the church. And if someone says that today, I get a little nervous. Yep. You know, because that apostolic calling was a once, you know, a, a one-time Calling, unless uh, you live in the south. Ex- well, yeah, right. no, <laughs> yes. sorry, yeah. you know because, that was the cheap shot. You know, that you were yeah, well, I for. know Ephesians chapter <laughs> yeah. two and Ephesians chapter four. That was a, a, a unique office. Now yep. there is aspects of the apostolic ministry that still exist today, but that term there I think are we have no to be capital very, A apostles. Now we have to be yeah. very very careful with that. And I think that as we look at baptism, because this new covenant was coming on uh, in this new way, in this new outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, because of what Christ has. Done, we have to be very, very cautious as how we try to apply the historical account mm-hmm. of the church in Acts to um, the church itself now. I think, honestly, Ephesians is a great yep. place mm-hmm. to That's go the place to. to start. Ephesians mm-hmm. chapter two, four, uh, four. Four. chapter yeah. 4 is very practical mm-hmm. in nature on how we carry these things out and how we're to live these things out. And mm-hmm. so, in um, First Peter, I mean, baptism yeah. now mm-hmm. saves. I mean, you have to reconcile that. Yeah. You know, and when, when you are being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, why in the world, if you, if you invoke the three names of the distinct persons of the Trinity, then why would one stay behind and not be a part of that? Yeah. And, and with this issue, in, in, in the conversation that needs to happen with this issue, there are so many moving parts worth talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it, it's, you know, obviously one of the things I love talking about. I'm preaching on baptism tomorrow, actually. Uh, but the first place, like I said, like you said, Brian, uh, Ephesians 4, the theological distinction we would start with is that scripture itself says there's one baptism. Yeah. You know, that's the starting point. Yeah. The other thing that you could do uh, in addressing someone, and this you have to be very careful about, because mm-hmm. you basically have to show them that they're wrong. Because the point that, Paul, <laughs> yeah. that Paul's trying to make in 1 Corinthians, you know, about the gifts of the Spirit, is yep. that they were prioritizing some mm-hmm. and making some as more holier than others. Yeah, and, that's and that's exactly yeah. what those denominations mm-hmm. do, is by saying you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to receive these gifts. Well, mm-hmm. you already have those gifts, and whether or not they're active in you, you go to that question that Paul asked at the end, do all speak in tongues? Well, the answer is no. Do all prophets? Like, no. Mm-hmm. And so just be happy with the gifts that God has given you. And right. so it's interesting that they, they use those scriptures in the absolute opposite way that Paul meant them to be. Mm-hmm. And so you have to kind of show them that. And I think part of it too is, as Lutherans, we, we love the, to bring comfort to people, to lift the burdens off of consciences. And I think there's a sweet comfort in knowing that the Spirit is connected to our baptism, yeah. that we receive the Spirit when we're baptized. We have an objective yeah. statement in right. Scripture that yes. says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remissions mm-hmm. of, remission of your sins, and you will receive, receive the, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Yep. I and mean, it's a direct quote from Scripture on that. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things we point out in this situation, I mean, those are probably in Scripture, I would argue probably the two key verses about the theology of baptism happening right mm-hmm. during this 
chapter that spawned the debate with speaking in tongues and spirit baptism. But if you look at Acts as a whole, thousands of people, literally thousands of people in the book of Acts were baptized. Mm -hmm. Only a handful of people in the book of Acts spoke in tongues. Now that says something already about the situation. We also need to be really, really, really careful about idolizing the early church because with all of the the signs and the miracles and and Mm -hmm. the things going on in the book of Acts, we remember that the rest of the New Testament was written because the early church was so screwed up, they needed to have their theology corrected constantly. That's Paul's epistles, Mm -hmm. with maybe the exception of Romans, are all addressing Problems, problems in, in the, the church. early yeah. church, yeah. you know, and, and even yeah. in Acts itself, you've brought it up once already, Brian, Acts 5, the, the church gets started and you have someone trying to make themselves look better in the church right away with Ananias and Sapphira and the, the holding back the money and everything. So we just need to really walk carefully with how we idolize the early church because that can be a real trap. And it's, it's a pride issue. Mm-hmm. It is a pride issue. Uh, we have one more really big question, and I think we should just kind of carry over to the next episode. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we're at yep. 24 minutes already right. on this one. Mm-hmm. So I do have a verse, and I thought, that why not poke the bear a bit? <laughs> Acts chapter 2, as Peter concludes his incredible sermon, uh, at the end, uh, you know, at, at the day of Pentecost, in the beginning in verse 37, he says this, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as we continue our discussion on theology and the Lutheran confessions. God bless you and have a great week.